to 1 Peter and chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3, almost to the end of your Bible. One of those uh, short little epistles just before you get to the final book of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter number 3. We're going to read just one verse together, be the 15th verse. I think you'll recognize the verse, or at least a portion of this verse. 1 Peter chapter number 3, and verse number 15. When you find that, stand with me out of respect for the Word of God, and read aloud with me this one verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 15. Reading together, ready? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Would you notice that phrase, be ready always to give an answer. Every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness. Those two little words I take as the title of the message tonight, ready always, ready always and you know, we ought to believe what, what is right, but we ought to know why we believe what we believe. Amen? And uh, uh, it behooves every generation to become a student of this book right here. Amen? Because you won't live what you have not uh, believed for yourself. It, it, it works for a while, and it ought to work until you become a student of the Word of God, that you just believe and trust those who God put in your life and tell you what's right, and, and you ought to believe them, and you ought to trust them. But you must become a student of the Word of God for yourself. And the Holy Spirit must teach you these great truths. You won't pass along something that the Spirit hasn't touched your heart about. And so tonight I speak to you on the subject, ready always. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of your Spirit, oh, deepen us, enlighten us, teach us tonight, and make us a ready witness for Thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I met a man this week, and uh, uh, as soon as I met him right away, I asked him about his soul. He said, hey, yeah, he said, I, he said I'm saved. I'm a preacher, too. And, um, and so we talked a little bit, had what I felt like was good fellowship. And <clears throat> then about five minutes into the conversation, he said, you know, he says, one thing I don't believe, though. He said, I don't believe that one saved always now. I don't believe that. And, uh, and, he, and he quoted a passage, a portion of a passage here. In fact, I want you to turn to it. I want you to turn to the passage, passage of Hebrews chapter number 6. And, um, and, uh, and so I, uh, um, we, we didn't have an argument. We had a very amiable kind of conversation. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but I had the liberty. We had about, oh, about 20 minutes to talk there. And, and um, together, we, we were in a place of business together. And uh, we had a chance to talk together. And so I uh, opened up my Bible on, on my phone and I opened it up. And he, uh, I, I read the, the passage at length. And I, I uh, share with you what I share with him. But um, uh, the Bible said we should be ready always to give an answer. We ought to know what we believe and we ought to know why we believe it. Amen? We ought to know why we believe it. And, um, and so I, I pointed out to him two possible interpretations to this one passage. You know, a lot of scriptures could have more than one interpretation. And uh, well, you say, how do you know what the right interpretation is? Well, we'll get to that next. 
Uh, but, but I want you to notice, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible said, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ. All right? So, stop right there for just a moment. Uh, to understand a passage of Scripture, one of the first things you must understand is to whom it is written. Based on chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 10, verse 19, and other places in this book, this book is written to believers. It's what the book of Hebrews itself says. It's addressed to believers. That's very important to get a proper interpretation of the Scriptures. And so he is, uh, of course, he's tying what he's been teaching to what he's getting ready to say. Without going into that, he is admonishing these Hebrew believers to leave some principles. Now, he's not talking about abandoning truth, but he's talking about moving on to maturity. He says, leaving, therefore, the, uh, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. So the doctrine of Christ. Jesus Christ is God the Son. He lived a perfect life. He uh, is God in flesh. He never sinned. He was born of a virgin. Uh, he went to the cross of Calvary and died in our place. These are all doctrines of Christ, right? Now, the Jehovah Witnesses are messed up on the doctrines of Christ. The Mormons are messed up on the doctrine of Christ, etc. And But uh, these believers were right on their doctrine of Christ. They understood who Jesus was, the sinless Son of God. And he said, but we need to go on past that. Move on. Let us go on to perfection, to spiritual maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. You stand up your dead works and you're going to be God just for a brief moment. Thank the Lord for that. But anyway, here's salvation. I am trusting in my works. Works can't save. That's why I called them dead works. Amen. Works can't save. Religion. Listen, all, all false religion could be tied up in one word, do. And salvation can be tied up in one word, done. Amen. Religion says you must do something. Some good work you must do to be saved. Salvation is done, done, done. The great transaction's done. I am my Lord's and He is mine. Jesus paid it all. It was done. Finished at Calvary. Amen. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. All done. Amen. That's salvation. So he said, don't lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Amen. You have to realize that your good, your baptism won't save you. Your church membership won't save you. If that's what you've been counting on, then you repent, you turn from that. You say, that's not going to save me anymore. I can't trust that anymore. What am I going to trust? Repentance from dead works unto the true and living God. Amen. The one that can save me. So he's talking about salvation in that phrase. Thank you. Uh, see, you go back and be Brother Hamilton now. Uh, okay, so uh, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, uh, and uh, of that's uh, uh, commissioning someone uh, for a task, for ministry, for example, and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. How many believe that the trump will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, which will alive and reign? How many believe that? Amen. All right. Amen. So that's, that's good. You understand the second coming? Great. Uh, let's move on past that, he says. And of eternal judgment. I believe in eternal heaven, eternal hell. Say amen. Good for you. Let's get past that, he says. Now, these are basic doctrines. Doctrines of our Christian faith. And he's saying to them, now, let's, let's get past that. Now, circle in verse number one. Us. Circle us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. In verse 3, circle the word we. Who's he still talking to? 
believers. Now, we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure, uh, but I think uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, but I believe he did. So he's talking to believers. He's certainly a believer himself, right? And he's talking to believers, and we know that from these passages I mentioned a moment ago. Now we get to verse 3, and this will we do. We'll leave those things, uh, not abandon them, but we'll go on beyond that, and we'll, uh, we'll do something else. And this will we do if God permit. Verse 4, 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. And this is what, my friend, that I met. This way, see, you can fall away. You never convinced me that you that uh, that a man can't lose his salvation because it says right there in the book it says you can fall away, and so you can lose your salvation. So I said, well, that's interesting you bring up that passage. So I got my phone out, I opened up the Bible, and I did with him what I'm doing with you. And I said, now let's, let's uh, assume that what you're saying is correct. But does it just say that you can, if your interpretation is correct, does it just say that you can lose your salvation? I said, no, it says more than that. It says that it's impossible for those who once were enlightened uh, I retasted the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That's what happens when you get saved. You're sealed with the Holy Ghost. That's all about people that were saved, right? Uh, uh, if they shall fall away, and if his interpretation is, that means you lose your salvation. If they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. I said, so, if you're correct, it doesn't just teach that you can lose your salvation. It teaches that you, if it's true that this is the correct interpretation. It teaches that you could lose your salvation and you can't get it back. It teaches that. And he said, yeah, that's right. That, that, that's what it says. I said, okay. I, I said, you can't pick one and not the other. If, if you're correct in your interpretation, you can lose your salvation. But if you lose it, it you, you, you can't be renewed again until repentance. You can't get saved again. Right? And then he explains why, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh. Why? Because it, in order to do that, if you could lose your salvation, and, 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 and it'd be impossible to get you saved again. Why? Because you'd have to crucify Jesus again. He'd have to go back to the cross. Why? Because the first time wasn't enough. By the way, if the first time wasn't enough, then what's the guarantee the second time going to be enough? Right? That's a self-defeating idea. But if we just take this and say, well, it says you can fall away. Yes, it certainly does say that. Uh, uh, if they shall fall away. Uh, 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 it doesn't say when, by the way. It said if. In other words, speaking as a, uh, uh, a supposition or a possibility. If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance. Why? Because it would require Jesus Christ to go back to the cross. Now, uh, I want you to know something. Where's the word impossible? The word impossible is before verse 6. The word impossible is not between 6a and 6b. You understand? 
if they shall fall away to renew them again in repentance, it would be, excuse me, if they shall fall away, it's impossible to renew them again. No, no. The word impossible is before every bit of that. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I just pointed out? So, I said to this dear man, I believe he's a brother in Christ. I said to my brother, I said, that is possible that your interpretation is correct. I said, but you must entertain that there's a second possibility. And I told him, I said, we're same thing. I said, the Bible says this is impossible. Everything that follows, verse 4, 5, and 6, he declares it to be impossible. I said, so there's two possibilities. The one interpretation is that if you lose your salvation, it's impossible to get saved again. Which, by the way, most of that crowd doesn't believe. Most of the crowd that believes you lose salvation certainly don't believe you can't get it back in because they'd all be in trouble. <laughs> so anyway, but but if his interpretation is correct, that means you lose your salvation and it's impossible to get it back again. again. Or, second possibility, it's impossible for a saved person to lose his salvation and then get it back again. And if you'll follow the order of what he says here in verse number 6, he says this, impossible's up here in verse 4. Impossible precedes this whole scenario. He didn't say when, he said if. He said this is an impossible thing. If a man was to lose his salvation and get him saved back again, because it would cause Jesus Christ to go to the cross. And he said, well, I guess it could mean that. He said, but I believe it means you can lose it. I said, okay. And we didn't have time to finish the conversation, but I'm going to finish it with you tonight. I said, here's my challenge to you. I said, you're honest enough to recognize there are two possible interpretations of that scripture. I said, so what must you do in order to find out what the proper interpretation is? Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and I'll show you. We often use this beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 9 to extol the glories of heaven and I don't think that's a wrong to do. Uh, sometimes we use Bible imagery and Bible words uh, to describe spiritual truths, but though that is not the, the the context, he's not talking about heaven. I don't think it's wrong to you know to to say that. But we can never imagine how gorgeous heaven, how wonderful heaven is. That, that's a true statement, but that's not the point he's making in this text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, As it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, I've taught you this before, so some of you may have, but if you never have, I would challenge you to get your pen out and mark something. This will help you as you study your Bible later on. In verse number 9, I'd like to ask you to circle or underline the word things. All right? So here we are in verse 9. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them to love. Now, what are we talking about? What things? Verse 10, but God hath revealed them. Circle that word, them. Th- those things, things, them. We're, we're, we're referencing the same things. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. All right, so whatever these things are that I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither entered in the heart of man, whatever these things are, they are revealed to us. How? By the Spirit of God, right? All right, verse 10 again, uh, second half. For the Spirit searcheth all things, 
There it is again. Yea, the deep things, circle things, of God. The deep things of God. So these things that I have not seen nor ear heard, that are revealed to us by the Spirit, are the deep things of God. Well, what are these things exactly? Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things, circle it again, of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. What things is he talking about? Is he talking about the golden spirals? Is he talking about the golden streets? Is he talking about the gates of pearl? What things is he talking about? I hath not seen, nor ear heard. These things, them, these deep things, revealed to us by his Spirit. These things of God uh, knoweth no man but the Spirit. These things, that only the things the Spirit of God knoweth. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are, there it is again, circle it, the things that are freely given to us. Wow, these things are freely given to us of God. Verse 13, which things, circle it again. Now we're getting ready to identify it. Are you ready? Which things also we speak. What am I speaking right now? I'm speaking words. (laughs) He's talking about communication. He's talking about the words of God. In the column next to verse number 13, things also we speak right in there. Put a parenthesis and write words. Words. He's talking about the words of God, the written words of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual Things And here's the key to unlock Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, uh, comparing spiritual things, circle it one more time, with spiritual. Cons- comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. That's what he's saying. Now, how do you unlock a scripture? When you find a scripture, so I don't know what, you, what this means. Does it mean this? Does this scripture, for example, mean that man that uh, loses his salvation can never get it back? Or does it mean it's impossible for a man to lose it, get it back, and because it's impossible for Jesus to go back to the cross? Does it mean the whole thing's po- impossible? Or just that it's impossible for him to get it back? I submit to you that when you look at Hebrews chapter 6, in light of other scriptures, when you compare the spiritual words of Hebrews 6 to other spiritual words, the spiritual things with spiritual things, the light bulb will come on. Let me do this for you. If the interpretation of Hebrews chapter 6 is, you lose your salvation, it's impossible to get saved again, then how do you explain 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Where the son-in-law, the stepson that was in sin, was in the, uh, 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 he hadn't been dealt with, hadn't been disciplined. But in 2 Corinthians, in the next letter, they obeyed Paul's admonition. This guy was, was being immoral with his stepmom. <laughs> Yuck. And, and, and it wasn't being dealt with. And Paul wrote a scathing letter in 1 Corinthians. What are you doing? You can't allow this to go on. Deal with this. So they dealt with the issue. The man repented of his sin. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to him and said, Good night. The guy repented. Bring him back into fellowship. People still wouldn't talk to him afterwards. Listen, listen if somebody gets right, the sentence ought to end. Amen. 
That doesn't necessarily mean trust. Trust is something you earn over time. I understand that. But if somebody gets right with God, they ought not be shunned by God's people. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and so, and Paul said, good night, bring him back into fellowship. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. If that guy lost his salvation in 1 Corinthians, then Paul would not have commanded the people to bring him back into fellowship in 2 Corinthians. David sinned. He had an affair. Had a man killed. That's pretty serious. If you're going to lose your salvation, and I, I've never had anybody tell me what you lose your salvation for. Obviously for sin, but I don't know what sin. I don't know. Big sin, little sin, whatever. I don't know. Anyway. But if it's going to be a sin, you'd think probably it would be adultery and murder, right? That probably ought to do it, right? And yet, what did David say in Psalm 51, verse 12? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. David didn't lose his salvation. He lost his joy. You can lose a whole lot as a Christian. You can lose your testimony. You can lose your family. You can lose your influence. You can lose your joy and a whole lot more. But thank God, salvation is eternal. Amen. Whoo! What do you do with Second Peter 7 and 8? The lot. What a horrible testimony he had. And yet the Bible calls him a just man. Calls, calls Lot a just man, justified man. And calls him a righteous man. In 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. What do you do with Samson? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 32. We find out Samson's right there. How did Samson die? Samson took his own life. Samson was a womanizer. He had seasons in his life where God's spirit was on him. And he was used greatly of God. He had seasons of, of immorality in his life. His, his life was a roller coaster. Uh, 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 and yet he's listed in the great hall of faith. Now you say, well, I just don't see that. There's things I don't see in the Bible. Sometimes I read the Bible and say, that don't make sense, God. I don't, I don't agree with you on that. But listen, if God and I have a controversy, he's right and I'm wrong. I don't determine my doctrine based on what makes sense to my brain. I determine my doctrine based on what God said in his word. Amen. So if interpretation, Hebrews 6, interpretation number one is correct. That if you lose your salvation, it's impossible to get saved again. Then Samson evidently never lost his salvation. I mean, he's, he's listed in Hebrews 11. And evidently Lot never lost his salvation. And we won't go into the sordid story about yucky stuff that happened with him. My Bible says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Amen. Amen. Who promised salvation? God promised it. If I make if I make a promise, then whether or not that promise is kept depends on who. Who make if I make you a promise. If I say I'm gonna I'm gonna come to your house and bring you a hamburger tomorrow at three o'clock. He's a hamburger, yeah. What do you want on it? Lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise. Amen. Cheese? All right. I'm going to come to your house tomorrow. I'm just an illustration. I'm not actually coming, okay? <laughs> if I say it. Uh, anyway, if I say I'll come here, his house tomorrow at 3 o'clock, bring a hamburger, the lettuce, tomato, uh, mayonnaise, and cheese, and, and I don't show up, I say, well, uh, he didn't brush his teeth today, so I ain't coming. Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. If I make you in the front, I promise you I'm going to bring you a hamburger tomorrow at 3 o'clock then who's liable to keep the promise? Who made the promise? So uh, who's liable to make the promise? Who, who, who's responsible to keep the promise? The one who made the promise. If God promised us eternal life, 
then who's responsible for keeping that promise? God. The verse said, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Amen? God doesn't play word tricks with His people. If God said eternal, it meant eternal. When He said that, whosoever believing in Him should not perish, but have eternal life, John 3, 15, He meant eternal. When He said in John 28, 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, uh, then that's what He meant. He meant eternal. He meant, not, he meant never pluck them out of my hand. When He said everlasting in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believing in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what He meant. He meant it. That's His promise. When he said never in John 4.14 and 6.35 and 10.28 and 11.26, Whosoever drinketh the water of life that I shall give him shall never thirst. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. John 10.28 again, uh, they shall never perish. John 11.26, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Did he mean never or did he not? He meant what he said. Amen. He meant what he said. Oh, listen, my dear friend. This book right here, you say, how do I talk to my neighbors? How do I talk to my coworkers? How do I... Uh, d- d- you? This, this book right here has the answers. Amen. This book has the answers. Now, it's an inexhaustible book. And you can't learn it in one setting. <laughs> but we have a divine teacher who lives inside of us. Amen. Amen. Who will teach you this book. How can you be ready always? Number one, get in the Bible every day. Get in the Bible every day. Now look, if all I did was read some highlight passages like Acts 2.38 in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, I might believe that salvation depends on me and not God's promise. I might think I could fall away if I only, if I only uh, knew a few passages and, and repeat them over and over again. But if you start reading a scripture text, you go, I, I, that, wow. Goodness gracious, you keep reading, amen? And let the spiritual things define the spiritual things and let the Holy Spirit teach you and you can, you can learn what God is saying in His Word. There's no contradiction. Listen, you say, I found a contradiction in the Bible. Let me help you. The contradiction is in your head, not in this book, amen? It's your lack of understanding, amen? <coughs> Get in the Bible every day. Acts 16, 11 said about the Berean Christians that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? They searched the Scriptures daily. The word noble means great, elevated, dignified, honorable, excellent, of the best kind, of an excellent disposition, ready to receive truth. Hey, listen, you want to be a great, dignified, honorable, excellent kind of a believer, then search the Scriptures daily, the Bible says. Somebody asked Tom Malone. Dr. Malone, how much Bible do you read each day? Here's what he said. I read until my heart burns. What was he saying? Every day I go to this book and I want to get something out of it. Number two, I said number one, get in the Bible every day. Number two, listen while you read. Listen while you read. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 25. Let me show you something. Psalm 25. Turn over there with me. Psalm 25. We're going to start at verse number 5. Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. 
For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Verse 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Let me give you a synonym for that word secret. When you tell a secret, a lot of times it's what you do. You know, here's what you do. We whisper, right? Next to, uh, if you want to, write down in the column of your Bible right there, write the word whisper next to that. That would be a synonym. What I mean when I say listen while you read, I'm talking about listening to God's Spirit, the author of this book. The Bible said holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He is our divine teacher. John 16, 13 calls him the Spirit, capital S of truth, and says that he will guide us into all truth. Now, listen, what I'm not talking about What I'm not talking about is some kind of mysticism or some kind of meditation so-called that's become uh, popular today. I'm not talking about being alone in a room on a hillside somewhere clearing all thoughts. No, I'm not. That's that's, that's, uh, spiritism. That's Eastern mysticism uh, dressed up. Uh, no, no, I'm not talking about that. When the Bible talks about meditation. It's not talking about having no thoughts in your head. Oh, that's an invitation. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's an open invitation for the wrong kind of thoughts to get in your head. But when he talks about meditation, he's talking about thinking on this book right here. Amen? Amen. It's, it's focused thought, not empty-headedness. It's focused thought. How does God speak to us? Listen while you read is the point. How does God speak to us? What are we listening for? God speaks to us through His Word. He guides us into all truth. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you'll read several times this phrase, He that hath an ear, let him hear. The the implication of that is, some people have ears, but they don't hear. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus said, some have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. What I'm talking about, listen, this is a little mature for us tonight, Christian friend. I'm not just talking about reading your Bible. You ought to discipline yourself and read your Bible. That's wonderful. You ought to get on schedule and read the Bible, read the Bible. I'm talking about more than that tonight. I'm talking about going and believing that God will speak to you while you read that book and you listen to His Spirit and listen to His voice and speak in your heart through His Word to you. I'm not talking about, oh, i got a word of knowledge. I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm talking, listen, 99.9% of the way God is going to speak to you and lead you is through His Word. Amen. Through His Word. We've been talking about this in Sunday school and the miraculous things God did in the book of Acts. Get on over to that last chapter of the book of Revelation. And God said, now, 
We're coming to the end. Don't take away from these words and don't add to these words and there's some pretty severe penalties if you do. End of the story and he closed the book. You and I have something they didn't have in the book of Acts or 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians or all the way through the New Testament. We have the complete revelation of God to man in the Holy Word of God. I hold in my hand right here. Amen. Perfectly inspired and preserved for you and I right now. Amen. We have that. Does that mean God does not speak otherwise? God can and God does sometimes. But 99.9% of the time, He speaks to us through His Word. Sometimes He won't come to you and say, Pastor, I had a dream. Can you help me with it? I want to say, how much Bible did you read this week? You think that God's the only person to give you a dream? Hello? You ought to be a student of this Word. A student of this Word. So, what do I mean? Listen while you read. First Kings 19, 11 and 12. Elijah's up there. And he's, he's, boy, he's in a pity party for sure. And uh, he ran from Jezebel, you know. And he's exhausted. He went many, many miles. He's exhausted. God sustained him, gave him a meal, ate on it. And he's, he's fasted days and days and days and days and days. And finally God speaks to him. And the Bible says that God came and it's a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces of the rocks. And, but God was not in the wind. And then after that an earthquake, but it wasn't in the earthquake. After that a fire, but it wasn't in the fire. And after that what? A still, small voice. Listen, sometimes when you read the Bible, God thunders. Sometimes you read, prepare to meet thy God. And He thunders out to us. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Depart from me, you cursed and everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. The wages of sin is death. That the fearful, unbelieving, abominable, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which birth with fire. Sometimes God thunders out His truth in His Word. Sometimes He speaks tenderly. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Underneath are the everlasting arms. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them with a call to... Sometimes God thunders. Sometimes God speaks tenderly. But listen, here's what I'm trying to whet your appetite for. Sometimes God whispers. Sometimes God comes in a still small voice and gives you something for your need in your life from His precious Word because you came and you were hungry and you asked Him to open your eyes and He gives you something. You say, oh, this is for me today. This is for me. You know what I love about the book? It's an ancient book. It's an eternal book. It's not just ancient. It's an eternal book. But I read it and it speaks to me and my needs like it was just written this morning. Number three. I said number one, get in the Bible every day. Number two, listen while you read. Number three, when God gives you something, write it down. When God gives you something, write it down. Look, do you know who gets something out of class? Do you know who gets something out of class? Those who are prepared. Those who are prepared. Teacher, you know this. You can stand up, the whole class, you can teach, give notes, write this down, write this down. Get at the end of class, and uh, you'll say, all right, we're going to take a copy of your notes, take up a copy of your notes, and you'll have a student say, I don't have any notes. 
What do you mean you don't have any notes? I didn't have a pencil. You sat through the whole class with no pencil. Yes, they didn't get, they didn't get much, right? They're not going to get much. Now, who gets something? Those who come and are prepared and ready to learn. Amen? Ready to learn. Now, let me ask you a question. You think it might make a difference to the Lord if you came prepared and ready to learn? What if you came and, 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 and got your spot and you got your Bible down and you say, open now mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You want God's Spirit to speak to you. You sit down, you're ready. You got your pen ready. Maybe you got your notebook right there or you're going to mark in your Bible and say, Lord, I'm ready for a lesson. You know what? God might be a little more inclined to teach you something. Amen? Yeah. He is the divine teacher. The Bible says, study to show thyself Approved under God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. The Bible says, search the Scriptures daily. The Bible again speaks about the Berean Christians that were more noble because they searched the Scripture. Our text in First Corinthians chapter 2 says, how do you find these deep things of God? How do you find them? You find them by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Do you know what the most important, the most important tool that you have to study your Bible or cross-references. How many have a Bible with cross-references in the center column? You have a study Bible of some kind, or maybe they're listed somewhere else. Now, you can buy, you have a, uh, you can buy uh, such a tool, or you can get your Bible with cross-references, but the best tool you have to study your Bible is the cross-references that are written right there. Men have put down other related passages, and you can learn by looking at similar passages elsewhere in the Scripture. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is teaching you. People get caught up in false doctrines because they get one verse and they squeeze an interpretation out of it and they don't want to let it go. It becomes a matter of pride. And, and, and listen, if, you, if, if you've been a Bible student for very long, you, you have come to times in your life you're like, what? What? I want to go back and find that tape, archive it, and destroy it because I don't believe that no more. God showed me something. That was a misinterpretation. How many ever had to change what you believe about something because God showed it to you? I hope I'm not the only one. Okay. We're growing. We're learning. We're being taught. And, and, and you, you, get, you get something in, and you get one little scripture, a pet scripture, and you hammer. Mo, listen, most false doctrines are built on one or two, a handful of, the whole Jehovah Witness mess is, I forgot what the scripture is, Psalm 89 or something like that. Anyway, but I can quote it for you. The Bible says, he whose name alone is Jehovah. They take that twisted to say he whose only name is Jehovah and they build a whole religion on the nonsense that his only name is Jehovah. It didn't even say that. It said he's, he whose name alone is Jehovah. What does it mean? It means he's the only one with that name. He whose name alone is Jehovah is not the same thing as he whose only name is Jehovah. That's Calvin, but he's also dad and, and he's also uh, um, Smoochie Poo or whatever his wife calls him. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, he's brother, you know. He's a lot of things. He's called other things in Calvin. But what they do, they find one little thing. They think, we, we, we got something nobody else knows. And they build a whole, a whole false religion on False doctrine gets entrenched in people. And it becomes a matter of pride. We can't even honestly look at the Bible anymore. Listen, we're, we all can be taught from this book. Amen. And we ought to be taught. Let me give you an example. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Turn over there with me. I don't have a lot longer to go. I have about 30 minutes is all. 
No, I don't. I don't have much longer to go. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. These are... We preachers, we love these verses here. These are the go-to-church verses. All right? Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's that word assembling. God said don't forsake the assembling. That's what we're doing tonight. That's what we're doing tonight. We're assembling, and that's what an ecclesia is, Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock I'll build my church. It's an ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. Amen. That's what the church is. We're called out of the world to assemble together. That's what God's called us to do. Let me give you a fourth point. Write it down. I said, number one, get in the Bible every day. Number two, listen while you read. Number three, when God gives you something, write it down. Number four, once you write it down, let it marinate. Let it marinate. What am I mean? I'm talking about meditation, true meditation. Think it over. Ponder it. Consider. Listen, y- y'all eat up at the Pioneer Restaurant up here on uh, 311. All right, let's take a little poll. How many of you eat at Pioneer? All right, you can't vote on this if you don't eat both places. All right? Those of you that eat at Pioneer. All right? Here we go. You're going to give vote one or the other. All right? Here's your choices before I call for hands. Pioneer, Golden Corral. Okay? Here's your vote. Are you ready? Pioneer. Golden Corral. Huh. <laughs> I'll tell you why I voted for Pioneer. It's got flavor in the food. It don't take a, it don't taste like a can. Now there's some good things over there, don't it? <laughs> but there's something about listen, when something marinates for a while, what's it doing? It's adding flavor, right? You know what meditation meditation what meditation on the word of God, that's not what marination does to, to, to food. It, it, it's it, you get it right here, you let it marinate, and then all of a sudden the juice starts seeping out and it gets down in your heart. Amen. I thought I understood Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 until about five years ago when a little fifth grade boy in our Christian school from a broken home wrote us some notes. Dear preacher, thank you for praying for my family. I'm so blessed to have you and as my preacher, you and your family are such a blessing. I remember your daughter tried to poison me. Olivia, she gave me soap and I ate it. I think it was a science project or something. I don't know. I like her project. Then Miss Shook gave me a card and Snickers and the card was so sweet. Stacy gave me a card or cards and she has a very good heart. I love the Shook family for everything they do. Thank you. Your friend. Little guy, I, I don't remember what started it. It was a series of notes that went back and forth between a little, little fella. And the shook gave him a piece of candy or something, I think is how it started. Dear Miss Shook, thank you for the food. I love the note. You're so thoughtful. 
She gave him a little something and he came back and gave her a little something and it went back and forth like that. Dear Miss Shook, thank you for the food. I love the notes. You are so thoughtful and so loving and kind. I love going to your church, the preacher, and you have been so kind. Thank you. I love how you are like a parent to me and you didn't have to, but you did, so I'm so grateful. Preacher, can you pray for my family? My brother has been smoking and when my sister and my mom were fighting, my mom said one day she will leave and she will pay one more month of rent and she will leave us and if we don't find another home she will give us to a foster parent and my mom got in a fight with older brother and now there's a hole in the wall and names his two sisters will move to her friend and please be with my sister's spirit because she said um, that my mom goes to court and his little brother because I only see him on Saturday and at school And then at the bottom, you have this. And I hope my, if I have a family, my family will be like yours. And I was thinking about that. I read that little letter. And I got Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 on my mind. And the Holy Spirit said, that's what I'm trying to teach you. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. For years I stood up in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 and said, provoke one another to love and good works. It's my job to goad you. It's my job to provoke you and push you to do something for God. And the Holy Spirit said, actually, what I want you to do is consider one another so you will be provoked to love and good works. You know why you need to assemble God's people? So you can see the needs of others. Not so you can push their buttons to get them to love and do good works. So you will consider others and you will be provoked to love and good works. Once you write it down, let it marinate. Number five, share it. And number six, live it. Number five, share it. Hebrews 5.12, I'm going to finish, says there's a time when you ought to be a teacher. And it says if you get to that point in your Christian life, are you still at Hebrews 6? Are you still at Hebrews 6? Turn turn to Hebrews 5. Let me just show it to you. You're right there. Some of you are anyway. Look at verse 12. We're going to finish here. Verse 12. For when for the time... You ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again. Which be the first principles of the oracles, that means spoken word of God, and are become such as need have need of milk and not of strong meat. Wait a minute. They, they become somebody who needs milk. Meaning, everybody starts on milk, right? But these folks got to a place where they should have been teaching others And because they didn't teach others, they regressed and had to go back and have milk again and couldn't take strong meat. Verse 13, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a baby, just a baby Christian. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, that's for grown-up Christians, even to those who by reason of use, who use the word, 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. A person who's blind has acute hearing. A person who can't hear will have acute sensitivity in other areas. Why? Because they're not used to using that other sense. God is saying when you get a hold of the book and you use the word, you take it, you apply it, you teach it, you become skilled in the use of the word of God. But if you do not then you'll regress and you'll go from maturity. Here's a person gets saved, they're on the milk, and then they grow and they get on the meat. And now here they are, they're getting strong and they're using the Word. And God said, now it's time for you to take it and teach someone else. And if you don't do that, the Bible says you'll regress and get back over here where you need to go back on the bottle again. Back on milk. Share it. And you say, well, I don't have a Sunday school class. You, I hope you get a Sunday school class one day. If you want a Sunday school class, come talk to me. But there's 10,000 other ways to teach besides a Sunday school class. Amen? Amen. Start a Bible study at, your, at the lunch table. Put a notice on the board and say, I'm, we're going to read, uh, read through the book of Proverbs at lunchtime over the next six months. We invite you to come. He says, well, if I'm the only one, then read it by yourself. That's what you're doing anyway, aren't you? Right? Well, what if one person shows up? Then you get to share something. Amen? I thought that was a good idea. Number six and last. Live it. Amen? Live it. Write this verse down. We'll be done. John seven seventeen. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Listen, if you're not willing to live what God teaches you, then He's not going to teach you. My willingness to obey the teaching of the Holy Spirit as I read His book will open up this book like nothing else. Amen? Ready always. And it's a wonderful book. Sing with me. I love the old Bible, the precious holy Bible. Its light on my pathway doth shine. It keeps me so sweetly, ever so sweetly, God's wonderful book divine. Wonderful. Five of us know that little song. Amen. I like this one. What's wrong with the old black book my daddy used to read from? Is it so outdated by modern translations? Revised standard and good news are everywhere I look. Won't somebody tell me what's wrong with the old black book? The enemy is much too smart to come right out and say, Forget all that you've learned of God. It's not true anyway. He's making plans in years to come to take God from our minds. By giving us new Bibles changed a little bit each time. What's wrong with the old black book my daddy used to read from? Sing with me if you know it. Is it so outdated by modern translations? Revised standard and good news are everywhere I look. Won't somebody tell me what's wrong with the old black book? Let's stand. Thank you for the word, Father. Thank you for thy spirit that is our divine.